Well, special thanks to all of our Vacation Bible School workers and uh, the youth team that took those students to camp. What a great thing to hear. Both saw students and children give their hearts to Jesus and enter into a relationship. Well, today is Father's Day, so to all of the fathers in the room, I just want to say happy Father's Day. Let's, let's give them a, a, a hand of appreciation. So I'll never forget when um, our first child was born and they put this little bundle in my arms and, you know, her name was Tiffany and, man, they're so little when they're born, aren't they? And Tiffany immediately looks up at me, bright-eyed, eyes wide open, kind of like, who are you? What's going on here? And that's the way she's always been. I was not prepared for how much I loved my child. I could not have anticipated. And then we began to expect our second child. And I got to be concerned, like, man, I love Tiffany so much, and this has been so amazing. I sure hope I can, I can have an, enough love to love Holly. And they put Holly in my arms, and she was adorable, and it was almost like God opened up a whole new chapter or cavern or something in my heart. And, and I thought, man, this is, it's like we just repeated this. And then we had Robert. The same thing happened. And now that I've started, I'm going to continue. We had Coco. And the same thing happened. Then I had James. And being a father is one of my greatest joys. Hardest job best job. Yesterday, my son Robert called me from California, and he was at the beach, and he was with my little granddaughter, and later on in a, in a conversation, he says, you know, Dad, man, she's so cute. Eleanor's so cute, but man, she is naughty, and I sure hope I'm doing everything right, because I want so bad to get this right, and I thought, man, son, that's exactly how I feel. And there have been times when I didn't get it right. And when I watched my children tear up, because I, I wasn't right. And my heart broke because more than anything in the world, I want to get it right. There is something so powerful about this father-child relationship. It's central to who we are. It molds us and shapes us, and you never lose the effects of that relationship in your life. They always are with you. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. And the first thing that we want to look at is the fact that when Jesus came, the one thing he told us to do when we prayed was we would pray, Our, do you remember this? Our Father who art in heaven. So people were wondering, what is God like? How do you relate to God? Is God some kind of impersonal cosmic force, some power? I mean, is he uh, like light energy and divine something? Uh, does he have a name? Does he have a face? Um, what is God like? And for some people, they kind of view God as this caricature of a sweet old grandfather, 
Now, I am a grandfather now, so I'm a little sensitive to using that term that way, but yeah. You know, Grandpa's a really sweet guy. I mean, he can't program the remote, and he needs his grandkids to fix his computer. But sometimes we get this idea that God is like this sweet old grandfather that is really nice, but kind of irrelevant to your day-to-day life. I grew up with a lot of people that were very, very religious, believed in God, and they would go to church every now and then because they just felt like they needed to show up and show their face just in case in the end God needed to know who they were. However, they really didn't need God to help them with their day-to-day life. They, they, they pretty much knew what they wanted and their friends kind of guided them and you know, God was on the outside but he was a sweet influence sometimes. Some people see God as a divine principle. If you're a principal in the room, we love you, okay? But the idea is this, kind of like my piano teacher when I was little, my piano teacher would always make me play my pieces with a, a brand new pencil in hand, and if I did it wrong, she'd smack my finger with her pencil. Some people think of God as, you know, he's like the principal. He's like that piano teacher that is just ready, pencil and ruler in hand, so that when you mess up, you're going to get whacked. Some people think that God is pretty much just mad at everyone and everything. Uh, he's no fun at all. And, you know, that's why you don't really want to come to church, because you're going to come to church, and God is here, and he's like mad at everybody. Some people think that God is like this divine helper. You know, even atheists, you know, on an off chance that it could help, they cry out to God, listen to their language. But they're not always sure he's there, has a heart for them. You think about God, um, what is he like? How do we relate to him? You know what Jesus said? He said, I want to tell you how he is. He's not just some divine power. I want you to pray when you pray, our Father. Did you know that Jesus, while he taught that God was the creator, that he was sovereign, that he was the judge and ruler of all things, 189 times in just the four gospels, he refers to God as God our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. God is is a triune God. He is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, And that allowed for us to take a look at how they related. And Jesus, when he was baptized, a voice came out of heaven and declared to everybody around, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That is is so amazing. Jesus got the blessing of the Father before he even began his ministry. He hadn't preached a sermon. I mean, he, he had not healed the sick, fed the hungry, released the people from the power of demons. I mean, 
we're right at the beginning of his ministry before anything gets going, before Jesus ever gets close to the cross. The father at the baptism proclaims, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus did not do his ministry in order to receive the blessing of the Father because he already had the blessing of the Father and the blessing came at the very beginning. You know what? To, get, to go through life with the Father's blessing is a different experience than going through life trying to earn the Father's blessing. You know, all kids need the attention and the approval of their parents, especially their father. I remember playing with my kids in the pool, and you know, anything times five is, is a little more complicated. Some people say to me, you have five kids, that's like a lot of kids. You know what, yeah, it's a, maybe, but I wouldn't do without any of them, are you kidding me? But if you are in the pool with a bunch of little kids, Here's what happens. Hey, Dad, watch me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, into the deep end. And so they jump. Oh, that's great. Yeah, good job. And, th and then the next person is like, hey, watch me, Dad. I'm going to dive. So they jump. And then the little ones start jumping in. And as the father now, you are, you're a little concerned that those little ones don't know what they're doing. They could actually drown. And so you run over to get them out of the water. And in the meantime, you missed the other child who just jumped in. And they come and they say, Dad, you weren't watching no, I was saving your brother. <laughs> Kids crave the attention and the blessing, the love and approval of their fathers. They need to have a father who believes in them. And if you don't have that, you grow up without a foundation for your entire future. If, if my dad believes in me, if my dad pays attention to me, if my dad tells me I'm okay and blesses me, I can face the world because he said I was okay and, and I'm not really sure yet on my own, but my dad says I'm okay and I, I feel his blessing and his love and so, man, I can move forward and take on the world with confidence. I can walk but, you know, tall, and I don't have to be afraid, but if you don't have the blessing of your father and the presence of your father, then you, you walk with less confidence, you're a little bit afraid, that father gap can absolutely change your experience. But with Jesus, he modeled that the father immediately blesses him and launches him on mission with the blessing, not having to earn the blessing, but he was empowered by the blessing. I mean, there's a lesson here for all of us fathers. We gotta send our kids out with a blessing. We need to launch our children into their future knowing that we believe in them, that we are for them. Jesus and the Father, as you read through the Gospels, they, Jesus didn't go to the mountain to pray because he was checking off the box, oh, I gotta pray today. No, 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 no. It's almost as if Jesus is always disappearing and he's going to pray because he loves being with the Father. He says things like, I only do what the Father tells me. Because he so wanted to please the Father. Because their relationship was beautiful. And 
He says, I, I do all the miracles my father leads me to do. It's like there was a partnership, a relationship there. Jesus modeled what it was like to have a father who blessed, who, who believed in you, uh, a father who helped you and empowered you. Jesus said, you know what? Um, my I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house. In 1 John chapter 3, I love this. It says, Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Do, do you want to be called the children of God? What a privilege. Therefore, the world does not know him because it did not, doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, beloved, look, isn't that a beautiful word? Beloved, now uh, we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We're still a work in progress. Are you a work in progress? But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You know what? This right relationship with the Father is a powerful, purifying, and shaping force in our lives every single day. And Jesus modeled for us the importance of a relationship with the Father. Second thing is, we are all imperfect fathers. Are you an imperfect father? I am. You know, the evil one, I seems, has been working from the very beginning to try to destroy these foundational relationships, especially the relationship between the father and the children. In fact, the last verses of, of the Old Testament are this, in Malachi 4, 5 to 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So w- what was the focus there at the very end? The, the focus us that there's got to be this restoration between the children and the father and the father and the children. I mean, Jesus then comes and he says, God is our father. And when you pray, I want you to pray our father who art in heaven. I want you to live in the relationship with the father. That's the key. The world is full of people who struggle with the relationship with their father because nobody's perfect. Louis Giglio in his book uh, entitled Not Forsaken identifies six types of fathers. The first one is this, the absent father. Now my father is absent today on this Father's Day for the very first time in my life because my daddy went to, to, to be with the Lord on Christmas Eve last year. And while I feel that he's absent, I still know he's there. I rejoice that he's with the Lord and this is a momentary absence that one day is gonna be resolved and we will both be better than we've ever been before. But some of you know what it's like to have an absent father Um, because of divorce or abandonment. Maybe you've had that talk 
where your father came and said, hey, listen, um, you haven't done anything wrong, but I'm leaving. And it's not you. You got to know it's not you. And then the father leaves, and every child who hears that speech then begins to wonder, but I wonder if it is a little bit me. An absent father. Some second one is an abusive father. Some of you maybe have had a father that wasn't just absent. They actually were actively hurting you, emotionally, verbally, or physically abusive. Your father was the source of the injury and abuse in your own life. Oh, how, how tough is that? You know. Third, a performance-based father. Have you, many people have a performance-based father. You know, this is the father that says, you know, I'm going to bless you, but you need to perform first. I mean, the better you perform, the more I'm going to love you, the more I'm going to brag on you. Every moment of your life in the presence of your fathers felt like a performance event. You were being graded, and you do well, you get blessed, you, you, you know, everything is good. You don't do well, you get scolded, and everything's not so good. Then number four, there's the passive father. The passive father is, he's there, but he's a non-factor. He's in the house, but he's not really part of your story. I mean, he's not taking initiative. He's not stepping in to lead and give you what you need. Maybe your father uh, had a father who himself wasn't very present in his life, and he doesn't really know what to do, and he, he, he never felt a blessing from his father, so he doesn't speak a blessing in your life, and his father didn't have hard conversations, and so he doesn't have hard conversation with you. He, he just leaves you to yourself. Come home when you want, do what you want, stay out of trouble, don't bother me. But you know what, everybody with a passive father always wonders, Seriously, Dad? You didn't step in to protect me and make sure I was okay? Dad, you, you seriously are going to let me even repeat the same mistakes that you have done and you paid for dearly and you never warned me? The passive father who doesn't want to have that tense conversation, because it's hard to speak truth, isn't it? Even in love. A passive father. Don't you love me enough to protect me? An antagonistic father. You know, an antagonistic father is someone who is actually competing with you. They want to beat you. You're the child, they're the father, but they want to beat you. So they ding you every chance they can. Well, you didn't do quite good enough there. I did a lot better than you when I was in high school. Or I... Who's competing with their own father? We all need and want to be the empowering father, which is the sixth one. An empowering father is not perfect. No dad is perfect, and neither can you be. But this empowering father, he did good, and he told you that he loved you that he was there for you. When he corrected you, he only did it with a lot of grace, believing that you could do better, and he hoped for a better future, and he knew that you could do better. He, his rebuke had a sting, but it was always covered with the grace and a concern. This dad loves so well, even in his imperfection, his kids believe they have a future. And they know that they are valued by their father. And even if they do fail, they are assured their father will be right back 
beside them, picking them up and helping them start again. You know, these are the fathers that we all want to have, but nobody ever had a perfect father. And that's why Jesus said what you need is God to be your father. He alone can fill up the holes in your soul and wound the brokenness that you've experienced. Last, we need to ask God to be our father. We need to ask him. You know, God knows one of our greatest needs is to have a father. I love what, what it says in Psalm 68. <clears throat> sing to God, sing praises to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds by his name Yah and rejoice before him, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows in, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. It's almost as if God looks down on this world and sees all of us who none of us have had the perfect father and we long for a perfect father. And God says, I am rushing in on the clouds in my majesty in all my glory to present myself to you as a father to the fatherless. And then Jesus tells us that we need to talk to the Father. Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask. Now I'm here to say that by and large I think most parents they will do everything they can do, even with great personal sacrifice, to make sure their child gets bread and not a rock. And they will make sure that their child will get a fish and not a serpent. I've seen this, it's amazing. The sacrifice of a good father and a mother for their children. But this passage says that God is looking down today in this service and he's waiting for you to identify your need and ask for his help. And he promises. No request gets ignored. Now, I'm not sure we all get everything we want because even good fathers don't do that. But the heart of God is for you. 
you know, when we went out to California, um, we were flying first class. James was so excited to fly first class. Now, we were on row 31, but James says it was first class. And as we're flying into the John Wayne Airport, there are a lot of little private jets flying in. James says, Dad, uh, I'm gonna need a, I need a jet. You, but you, you need a jet? We're on a jet. No, no, I, I'm needing my own jet. You know, L-A-L-A-Baby. I mean, I want to be famous. Okay, that's, that's where we were. That's the zone as we flew in in our first class seat on row 31. I'm not saying that God gives you everything you ask for, but I am saying that when you have a need, he is an attentive father who knows exactly what you do need and he promises to meet it. You don't have to go through life alone. You've got the perfect father who will be there with you and for you and help you and protect you and provide for you. And Jesus says, this is what you need and this is who he is. Psalm 103 is like David exploding with a sense of gratitude for God and who he was. Psalm 103 in verse three, this is what he says about God, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness. Would you like to be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies? That's what he wants to do for you. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, now that's pretty far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, but the mercy of the Lord, verse 17, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. You know, everlasting to everlasting is a long time. Jesus says, you know what you need? You need God to be your father. You know the hurts and the wounds that you feel from your father? Jesus says, I, uh, I want you to come to me and I want to introduce you to God, our Father. He will never disappoint you. He will never hurt you or abuse you or be absent from you. He will be present. He will never give up on you. He will believe in you and forgive you and pick you up every time you fall down. God says, 
I am the Father you're looking for. And when that comes into our lives, it changes absolutely everything. You know what? We just need to ask him to be our father. In, in John chapter 1, it's talking about Jesus, who was the word, um, who was God. And then in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. And then verse 12, this is the key. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. How do you get to be a child of God? You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, God, your Father, steps into your life. This is not about getting out of hell. This is not a ticket to heaven. This is a relationship with the eternal Father that starts now. And by the way, he owns heaven and all of eternity, and that comes with it too. And he wants you. And he's here for you. And his love and presence will transform you and make you into the person you'd like to be. My only hope of being somewhat of a good father is to walk with my heavenly father as closely as I can because that hope purifies me and I need to do it every day. Josh McDowell was a man who has greatly influenced this generation. Um, he began as an agnostic, and then he went to college, and he discovered as he began to investigate Christianity that he thought was worthless. He begins to, ex to examine the claims of Christianity, and he discovered that it was a compelling and overwhelming story, and the evidence for the reliability of the Christian faith had to be true. And then he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and he was changed dramatically. Now, Josh McDowell was an, is an articulate speaker. He has actually spoken to more than 46 million people. Just think about that. He has spoken to more than 46 million people. He's given over 27,200 talks in 139 different countries. Since 1960, he has authored or co-authored 151 books. They have been translated into 128 languages. When he wrote the book, More Than a Carpenter, Carpenter it has sold and been distributed to so many people. <clears throat> There's over 27 million copies of that book floating around. When he wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, it was named by World Magazine as one of the top 40 books of that century and one of the greatest books in Christian thought. That book changed my life because I read it when I was a young person. But then John, John, uh, Josh McDowell goes on to say this. After I became a Christian, guilt came in. I recognized God was a God of love, and he wanted me to love my dad. The one person I hated more than anyone else in the world was my father. I despised him. To me, he was the town alcoholic. If friends were coming over, I would take my father, tie him up in the barn, and park the car up around the silo to avoid embarrassment. We would tell our friends that he had to go somewhere. About five months after Josh made the decision to follow Christ, 
a love for his father, a love from God through Jesus Christ inundated his life. Josh said, it turned my hatred upside down. It enabled me to look my father squarely in the eyes and say, Dad, I love you. And that really shook him up. While he was in college, Josh was in a serious car accident. And he had to go and recuperate at home because his neck was in traction. During that time, his father came into his room and asked, Son, how can you love a father like me? Josh said, Dad, six months ago, I despised you. Then he shared with him about Jesus Christ. Dad, I let Jesus into my life. I can't explain it completely, but as a result of this relationship, I found the capacity to love and accept not only you, but other people just the way they are. 45 minutes later, his father said, Son, if God can do in my life what I've seen him do in yours, then I want to give him the opportunity. His father prayed with Josh and trusted Christ as his savior. Josh's father touched alcohol only once after that. He got it as far as his lips and that was it. And he didn't need it anymore. Josh says this, while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us enough to express his love to us, even to die for us before we make any changes and can get any different. The power of the relationship between us and our God is what transforms us and shapes us. If you're here today and you say, I don't have a perfect father, no perfect parents, well, join the club. If you're here today and you would say, I want to receive Jesus Christ because I want God to be my father. And if you let him in, he will change you. Would you stand, please? <clears throat>